everything that football folk is doing. Last week they had Brady. This week they got Brady. We're doing it. We're literally doing it differently from everybody else. Hey, as a matter of fact, moving forward from this point on, I will not make reference to PML. Do you not understand that they are that way because you're Joe Flacco? And you just like to discredit things that people deserve credit for. That you can't possibly be expected to defend that. Talk about the game, Sam. So, Who cares about what people think about us? Yeah, I like football, I like football season, all the things that go with it. It's a bonus edition, Sam. Welcome, everybody. If you're live on YouTube. Where are you going? thought I was going to sneeze, but it, it didn't happen. Fake sneeze. Come on, keep the energy up. It's, I'm here. I'm it's here. Friday morning. It's the end of free agency week. Yesterday, we went all in on the AFC. About two hours of goody, uh, goodness. Sorry. Goodies? Hmm. Talking about the AFC. And it wasn't... Uh, I mean, it just we went down all the moves and all the good stuff. So go through our AFC podcast. From yesterday, this is your bonus because we're going through the NFC today. So we'll go team by team and just kind of uh, analyze where they are at the moment. Um, Also, PFF NFL Daily. If you guys haven't subscribed yet, if you're listening on the podcast, pause the podcast. Go subscribe to the PFF NFL Daily. And if you're on YouTube, you can do it on the side. Just go to your phone. Hit subscribe, PFF NFL Daily, because we break down the best available remaining free agents. I think you could probably do it on the side and your phone as well. I think phones are capable of that now. Yeah, you can multitask. So make sure you just go hit subscribe to the PFF NFL Daily. As I I was telling you yesterday, we're doing team by team here on the main PFF NFL podcast. But we actually needed an extra 10 minutes last night to go through the best available remaining free agents. We needed more time to talk, Sam, which is why the Daily exists. So let's do it. Let's go. Let's start with the NFC. Do you want to start with the NFC West? Wow. Let's really reverse it. Well, now this would be bad strategy. We're live at nine thirty a.m. Eastern. Yeah. There's no way anybody on the Cardinals West and up. Seahawks fans are awake, right? Mm-hmm. So we'll start with the East. Okay. Hmm. Just saying. All right. Right. This is this is we, the right strategy. I mean, you've just thrown a wrench into the whole thing. There. There's a whole bunch of like people on the West Coast that think we have this West Coast or East Coast bias. Despite the fact that or, we're like, or do you think they're all driving country. to work listening to us on? I mean, YouTube, maybe I'm just know. saying that they we get routine complaints about the fact that the West is always the last. It always, they always have to wait through everything to get to their division, and we ignore them. And they sometimes get truncated because we run out of time and have to you know squeeze it in late. So you were like, oh, let's throw those guys a bone, and then took it right away. You just dangle it in front of them, and they went, nah, no. Next time we do team by team stuff, and it's not live at 9:30 Eastern, we will go West first. But we're going to start with the NFC East. Uh, pick a team. Pick a team? Dallas Cowboys. Yeah. What have the Cowboys done to this point? Well, they re-signed Dak. That was quite important. That was a good start. So you got that out of the way. And then since that point, two two basic signings. Ty Secchi. I am all for every Ty Secchi signing, signing. Ever, yeah. And then they re-signed cornerback Jordan Lewis to fill a major need because, yes, their entire secondary needed to be replaced, including yeah. Jordan Lewis. I mean, when you look at some of the offensive linemen that have been signed – Ty Insecki is a good move. <laughs> so there was a lot of bad offensive linemen out there getting floating around, being picked up, and potentially playing games next year. Ty Insecki shouldn't have to play games, and if he does, is better than half the guys that got signed. So yes, great move. Most of most of our listeners don't have any idea who Ty Insecki is, but swing tackle extraordinaire. 
Yes, exactly. And he's been a free agent. Uh, he was a free agent two years ago. The Bills picked him up. He went there, played swing tackle. And, and it's it's essentially, look, PFF grades every time he's out there are just solid. He just plays good, solid football. He's an mm-hmm. underrated pass protector. He's 35 years old. He's 35 years old, and he's played 1,749 snaps in his NFL career. Yeah, he's he just also, always been good. I mean, last year, only 53 snaps, still 53 grade. I mean, uh, 80, 80 grade. Eric Crocker on, on Twitter posted a picture of him and Ty Inseki back when they were both in the Arena League. And the picture, the, the picture was simply entitled, captioned something like, Eric Crocker and other, what I forget what the team was called, Talons maybe, and other Talons players uh, celebrating with fans. So Ty Inseki, even in the Arena League, was simply labeled other Talons players <laughs> at the time. And now, now the man's backing up uh, Tyron Smith and Lyle Collins for the Dallas Cowboys. Yeah, I mean, look, he's just a good swing tackle. I get excited about those moves. So good job, Dallas. Uh, good uh, insurance policy there. And then, yeah, Jordan Lewis coming back you've got the new system he's had a bit of an up and down career I don't know if this is hey you know we don't have a lot of other options here go with the familiar one Dallas still has some work to do at corner what uh Holden has just pointed out that we appear to be dressed the same oh boy we're we're wearing matching you didn't uh, wear curtains today well I didn't I went away from the curtains I went to just you know regular striped t-shirt and apparently it's like the exact pattern match for whatever J crew thing you've got over there no where do you Old Navy? What? There was an Old Navy sale a couple there months you go. back. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So we've accidentally coordinated. Yeah, that's big un- and tall stuff. That's unfortunate. Anyway. Yeah. Thanks, Holden. Yeah. Thanks for pointing that out. Appreciate it. So Jordan Lewis signing his career. He's coming off his career low, 48.1 grade. So you're banking on the previous years were all in the green. 2017 through 19 graded in the green, including, you know, kind of a short season in 2018. Overall, he's been solid, but we always talk about the fickle nature of cornerback play that kind of hit Jordan Lewis last year. That and the fact that everybody on that defense was bad last it was year. All bad. You are relying a lot on a change in scheme, taking a step forward and, and bumping everything up. So if you let's throw out last year to a degree, I know it's, it's optimistic to do that, but it was by far the biggest departure for the rest of his baseline. Three previous years, 70, 73, 66 in terms of PFF coverage grade. Um, numbers generally across the board were, were better. So uh, 45.8. I, I, given what happened in Dallas last year, I think there's a reasonable case to be made that that doesn't reflect the true nature of his play. Are you giving their defense the Detroit treatment? You just kinda, yeah, kind yeah, maybe of. Maybe we don't weigh this too much. Uh, yes, to a degree. Uh, look, not if it fit everything else we know about the player but Lewis was better than he looked last year so if you've got one guy whose season um in 2020 was dramatically different from the rest of his career and we know that that entire defense was a mess last year I'm okay with them looking at the other three years and saying that's the player not this guy yeah they also signed Brent Urban who when you look at Urban's career, remember how much we loved Henry Anderson yeah. coming out a few years ago? He was like the original H- Henry Anderson. OG Henry? Yeah. I mean, just the the classic old 3-4 defensive end body, good run defender, okay pass rusher. So they bring Urban into the mix, which was good. I mean, you have to continue to, to build that defensive line. So I think there's more work to do in Dallas, particularly in the secondary. Jordan Lewis, a good step in the right direction. Want to see them... Uh, attack that uh, in the draft I mean if they do get one of those top corners in the draft and you're talking uh, Caleb Farley Mm -hmm. Trevon Diggs 
Jordan Lewis in the slot. Can deal with that. That's not bad. Yeah. What looked like a situation where it's like, man, you got to replace a lot of guys this offseason. So. Caleb Farley in that defense would be fun. All right, let's go Philadelphia Eagles, another team that will get the easy teams out of the way. Haven't done a whole lot because of – They just cut people. Yes. I mean, what, their moves have been essentially cutting for cap space. Trevon Hester, Deshaun Jackson, Alshon Jeffrey, Malik, Malik Jackson, the latest. Uh, no real significant signings. We're talking full, uh, full rebuild, uh, rebuild mode here for the Eagles. Yeah, and then the discussion about what they do with quarterback. Do they go? Do they give Jalen Hurts a year to be the guy, or do they oh, take? There's no more discussion. There's no more discussion. So you know, our theory over here at PFF, you know, keep drafting quarterbacks. You're sitting there at six. Of course, one of those top quarterbacks will be there. I put it on social media. The whole thing. You know, Steve's take is, you know, go get a QB. Mm. And Eagles fans reminded me that the Eagles have come out and stated it's uh, it's build around Jalen Hurts' time. We're going to give him time from the top. That yeah. is the, the edict wasn't, from the top. It wasn't the edict that they have instructed uh, the Howie and the, and the, the yeah have, have instructed the organization to prioritize uh, developing Jalen Hurts rather than you know yes. find an alternative. Yes, just make him better. Just turn this guy into a franchise quarterback. If you could prioritize that, that would be helpful for our, our team. So, so go, go ahead and do Pitts. that, and then we'll deal with everything else in the future. So the what I would do mock drafts, which almost always include get a quarterback until you really know you have one. So you know, instead of giving them Justin Fields or Trey Lance like I have in the past, it'll probably end up being Kyle Pitts, which I think is like a legitimate option for them at number six. Uh, counterpoint, though, if you were planning on drafting a quarterback in – six or potentially higher by trading is that not exactly what you would be saying right now don't worry we're good Jalen Hurts is here nothing to see here gents carry on oh if you're oh you're like lulling like, the, if you were looking for a quarterback at six or higher why would you advertise that fact right now if you're the Eagles no that's a good point but there's a you know it's lying season and all that stuff but sometimes like when there's smoke there's fire oh I could this 100% is, uh, believe it's true I mean they they drafted him. They were happy to dropkick Carson Wentz out of the building for him. It makes sense. But, you know, Dan Orlovsky went in a big rant on ESPN Why yesterday. Why you Dan out again? I'm not. Well, okay. I know I am. I'm about to. But I'm, just this part, I'm not. He went in a big rant about Jalen Hurts and how, look, you got to give this guy time. You see what happens. And if he's the answer, great. If he's not, you draft another quarterback. But you do it sequentially. Um, the, the problem I have with that, though, is – you're picking number six overall right now in a very quarterback-rich draft. We're talking about four of these guys going in the top six picks, I think was Schefter's term, right? They're, I think six was the number he, he gave. Was, he said take it to the bank. I think four in the first six or seven. But six was yeah. the number, right? So, he, like, Philadelphia yeah. was the cutoff. Um, so, my point is, this is a very quarterback-rich draft, and you are picking in a spot that has a shot at them. That, you can't... When you start talking about what we have at quarterback, and Dan made the point that you don't know. Nobody knows what Jalen Hurts is right now, and I think that is the critical point. Now, he looks at that and says, you don't know what Jalen Hurts is, so you give him time to find out what he is. Our point of view would be, well, you don't know what he is, so you can't rely on him. You have to go and try and find something. And Jalen Hurts might be that guy, but equally, you have a shot, a very rare shot to come along and find a top draft quarterback that's in the top six picks. Um, so draft one of those as well. And now you've got two chances that one of those guys is actually the future. I think the logic is, look, if you don't know what you have in Jalen Hurts, 
what you have to do is weigh up how likely is it that we're going to get an opportunity to be better or a better opportunity at a quarterback than this, which is picking at number six overall in a very quarterback rich top end of the draft. If you roll with Jalen Hurts and Jalen Hurts sucks and you end up back here in a year's time, are you going to have a better situation? Let's say you pick six again, but it's next year and the quarterbacks aren't as attractive. And they might be. You know, nobody saw Zach Wilson coming. That yeah. happens, right? Am I, I going to have to start defending the other side now? I just think that's the debate, right? It's, yeah, it's the de- look, you have a very rare opportunity at a potential upgrade at quarterback. You can't just say you don't know what we have in Jalen Hurts, therefore let's wait and find out, because it's all set against the context of what your opportunity is right now, which is the important point. The, but the other, the other opportunity that, that they do have is sitting at six and having potentially four quarterbacks that are really coveted in the top six, as Schefter said, having the ability to trade back and accumulate draft picks. Because, I, you know, this is that – remember the Browns a couple of years ago? When they were completely rebuilding, what's, mm-hmm. what's the look for? What happened? Nothing. Okay. Carry on. Okay, they had to rebuild. They they drafted Miles Garrett number one overall, and yes, they maybe you know there were years they passed on Deshaun Watson and Patrick Mahomes and the whole thing, but they ended up getting Baker Mayfield, and they had a much better situation around him. I think that's an honest front office debate, though. Are the Eagle is the Eagles roster so bad? I don't think it is. I don't think this Eagles roster is terrible. Really? Yeah. I think it's, I think it's falling apart, man. I think there's a lot of pieces in place that this roster could be good quite quickly if they found a quarterback. The Browns situation, I think, is different because that roster was like a a heap. Like you, I mean, it was a good argument that said, "Look, it doesn't matter if we find a quarterback right now. There's nothing for him to set into. It's going to be a mess." The Eagles used to just have a great offensive line and a great defensive line. Even that, you know, Malik Jackson getting released, Fletcher Cox regressing a little bit, Brandon Graham still getting older. So the defensive line probably needs another influx of youth linebackers been a rough situation the defensive backs massive question mark Darius I mean Darius Slay is pretty good everybody else around him massive questions the offensive line which used to be a strength we don't know what Andre Dillard is at left tackle they've got some veterans that are getting older and that are still good wide receiver who were their wide receivers they've they've brought a whole bunch of people and we don't know who they have at wide receiver, tight end, Zach Ertz about to get traded, Dallas Goddard's there, good. I mean, Dallas Goddard is the key player on – the entire roster yeah, has how, been gutted. How much of the receiving core in particular looks bad because of the quarterback situation? I mean, Travis Fulgham had a nice little – Travis Fulgham looked good. Um, Jalen Rager was a first-round pick in a in a year where, like, all of the receivers were good. It seems – it seems relatively implausible that not, he's just a disaster. I'm not saying they're the bad. They're just there are question marks there. So yeah, but anyway, I think it's an honest debate for the Eagles to say, let's go get the core of the offense while while we're evaluating Jalen Hurts and go from there. I think it's a debate as well, but the debate is not to me, the debate is all about the context of what your opportunity to find a quarterback is. It's not yeah. how bad is this roster versus any other year. It's fast forward twelve months, if Jalen Hurts sucks and we need a quarterback what are the chances we have a better shot at one than right now? So you know I agree with you. I'm just saying I don't think it's egregious on the other side. But somewhere in the NFL, someone agrees. With a Dan lot Lofsky. of people agree with Dan. I think that's the general NFL take. It's like if you have a – got to give a guy three years. 
It's the general Nobody take. gives a guy three years That's anymore. what everybody believes in. The Bears were ridiculed for giving Trubisky three years, and they like, That's because after the year farm two, it was clear he wasn't the guy, even though they won the division. It was clear he wasn't good and that they won despite I mean, it him. It was clear that Josh Allen produced wasn't good after him. two years, and they gave him a third year, and he's an all-pro. Um, so it's not, a, gets, it's not a cut-and-dry debate, You then. virtually never get three years anymore. Nobody has that kind of time. Particularly Sam not, Darnold just got three years. I mean, you might get more, particularly not for a second-round quarterback that never really showed that much in the first place. Anyway, they're going to roll with Hurts, I believe, unless they're just bluffing everybody. Let's see what happens. Uh, let's go to, to the uh, New York Giants. A couple interesting moves here. So they end up cutting Kevin Zeitler at first, uh, franchise tag Leonard Williams, and then sign him for three years, $63 million. <laughs> oh, man, that's a lot of money. Yeah. For Leonard Williams. And look, I, Leonard Williams is a really good player. I just don't think he's bringing – he's definitely not bringing Aaron Donald-level impact there. Um, it does it does keep the the two excellent run defenders, Leonard Williams, Dexter Lawrence, in there. They're pretty good pass rushers. It's a nice interior defensive line, but probably not the place we would deploy resources. I think their offensive line is one of the, the big stories for them. Andrew Thomas played left tackle last year as a rookie. Right now, they re-signed, they restructured Nate Solder. And the word is he might be a swing tackle. So, you know, last year's first rounder, Andrew Thomas, to start. Last year's third rounder, Matt Parrott, who we liked a lot coming out, might get a shot to start at right tackle with Nate Solder in his fresh pay cut, potentially being the swing tackle. I mean, I, I don't mind that as a strategy with the three of them and um, still have some work to do there. But yeah, I think that's one of the stories getting that O-line solidified in New York. The Leonard Williams thing, I think, is interesting because, I mean, Donald isn't the fair comparison, even though their contracts, like, that's the one guy he's behind. I'm only comparing it because of the I contract. Don't. But that's the one guy he's behind, so that's why the comparison gets made. But the, I think the fairer comparison is um, DeForest Buckner, who I think is third. Mm. So DeForest Buckner traded for the first-round pick, got the monster contract extension. Now, Leonard Williams versus Buckner, I think, the same thing is true where Leonard Williams does not compare favorably to DeForest Buckner either. And yet that's a far more like human comparison to make. So yeah, it's just, it's too much money for a guy that isn't as good as that. Somewhat breaking news here. Um, mm. Hasn't been, I just see one report that the Bengals have signed Riley Reef. Okay. Um, two days ago in the uh, little internal PFF story here, somebody accidentally put Riley Reef on the roster like True. in our database yeah and then somebody couldn't uh remove him couldn't remove him right so we're sitting there like oh Don't no need to riley reef is on the Bengals, and i said i'll just i'll call the Bengals, tell them to just sign them smart and then we don't have to fix the database perfect so thank you Bengals, for uh for fixing the pff database riley reef back home where he belongs Bengals left tackle does that take him out of panay sewell uh discussion no. What's interesting they have is... Jonah Williams and Riley Reef. Well, where is he playing? Is he going back to right tackle? Like, the last time he played right tackle was, like, rookie year, right? I mean, Jonah Williams played right tackle when he played with Cam Robinson at Alabama. He had two years at right tackle before flipping to the left side his yeah. junior year. But Riley Reef has played right tackle in the NFL as well, but I don't think it's since his rookie season. I can uh, see Jonah moving. Oh, no, it is. So he's got, one, he's got a season in 2016 as well. His rookie year, oh, by yeah. the way, was the best year we have in terms of grade on record for him. He didn't give up a sack. He had a run-blocking grade of 86.4, which is the best in his career by like eight points. That was at right tackle. Uh, 2016, not so great. 
uh, 69.1 overall grade, gave up four sacks, 44 total pressures. That's quite a lot. Um, so, yeah, those are those two seasons, I think, where he's played right tackle. That'll be interesting, man. Jonah Williams and Riley Reef. And this is a it's a creep back toward average move for the Bengals on the O line. I think it opens up wide receiver at number five, though, even more. Instead of instead of this locked into Panay Sewell or grabbing a Rashawn Slater at tackle, I think all of a sudden now they're going to look at Jamar Chase, Devontae Smith, Jalen Waddell as a wide receiver to complement T. Higgins and uh, Tyler Boyd, which you know we've been tweeting about for a while that it's not not bad. So let's uh, where were we here? Giants moves. Mm-hmm. I'm all about their offensive line reshaping. Um, it's not great right now. Rumors about Kenny Galladay coming in. Yeah, they're one of the teams supposedly still in that. I feel like that's needed. Is yeah, you like Galladay fit with with Daniel Jones, right? You need a you need a Yolo quarterback for Galladay. <laughs> yeah, and I think you know again, I always make the Jones Nick Foles is, comparison. Is and, that a good yeah. thing for a young quarterback though? It's not so much that it's good for a young quarterback. It's good for a quarterback like Daniel Jones that I think has high variance. Yeah, I just don't love – I don't love as a strategy surrounding a young quarterback – not surrounding, pairing a young quarterback with a player who invites YOLO as a strategy. I just I mean, it's not like it's the only thing Galladay No, does. I know, but it is his forte. It's what he's good at. It's – the point is, if you know that guy is exceptionally good at that and you're willing to start warping what you do to fit that skill set, I think you start to play the game in a different way that isn't necessarily beneficial to your overall development. New Hopkins is the same story. I think players like that, they're fantastic. They're great players. But I don't know if it necessarily is a good thing for a young quarterback to be reliant on one of those players as particularly your number one target. I just think it starts to warp the way those guys play the game in a way that isn't good. Yeah, I'll still take it. I mean, if they, Darius Slayton's a good deep threat, they got John Ross for two million bucks. Do that all day. Sterling Shepard work in the slot. And then they signed Kyle Rudolph, and they still have Evan Ingram. What are your thoughts on the Rudolph signing? Because it's kind of a lot of money for a guy at the tail end of his career. It is. Um <sighs> There's a bunch of teams that seem to be pivoting to this two tight end system or personnel capability, I guess. The Gi- I mean, they have Evan Ingram, who's their receiving option at tight end. Kyle Rudolph will come in to be the second tight end, a more traditional in-line player, but a guy that's still a dangerous red zone threat and, and capable of making spectacular catches. Um, it is a lot of money, but that does give them – a different skill set and a different uh, threat, particularly in the red zone, that they don't really have right now. Uh, so the other, you know, going back to the Daniel Jones Galladay thing too, and Rudolph here, I I always throw Foles out there, but what about what about Joe Flacco as a proxy for for Daniel Jones? I mean, Flacco was pretty good early in his career, just a good solid quarterback. Let you know, not not elite, not elite, just a good solid quarterback. He threw deep out and this and that, and he was an aggressive downfield thrower. He wasn't an egregious decision maker till maybe the end of his career. And then he also became conservative at the same time. But Flacco, when he got guys like Anquan Bolden, he had a Todd Heap to throw to. Flacco's best seasons are when he had just good receivers he could trust. And he gave them opportunities to make plays. 
and then they you know they went on a Super Bowl run. But even around that, it was just you know good productive seasons. I think that can be Daniel Jones. If you have a Galladay, you have a Kyle Rudolph. You mentioned Slayton as the as the deep threat. John Ross for four good plays per year. I mean, all of it adds up, man. All of it adds up. So I kind of like where the Giants are going there. I think uh, defense can use some attention as well, obviously. But um, we'll see what they end up doing there. And they also signed Mike Glennon to back Perfect. up Daniel Jones. Excellent. Who's left in the, uh, the, the football team? Are nah, they the winners of free agency, Sam? Yeah, they very well could be. They have made a lot of nice moves. When you consider this is a team that still doesn't really have a an encouraging um, quarterback situation, like they are what they are a playoff team from yeah, last Fitz year and Heineke. Yeah, they're a playoff team from last year, looking to build something encouraging going forward. And there's no real hope at quarterback. Like you know, Fitzpatrick is solid. I, I'm not. We love Fitz. Fitz is great, but Fitz at his best is a bang slap middle of the pack quarterback who's going to have a bunch of stinking games in the course of getting to a middle of the pack quarterback status um taylor heineke has like a game and a half of good play in his life yeah uh so it's okay and kyle allen is kyle allen there's Plus not old dominion play there's not an awful lot to get excited about in terms of long-term future and instead of sort of you know just being miserable about that or trying to strategize some master monster move to jump up in the draft and snag a quarterback they don't really have a shot at they've gone all right that's what we're dealing with screw it let's just build a big a, a good team around what we have and like, figure quarterback out later and i i think there's a lot to be applauded about that they have done what we suggested a team might have to do which is just say let's just start swinging at these veterans year after year sequentially now okay they've only done it once they might end up they might all unravel and they get a shot at a quarterback next year alternatively this might be a good roster for a few years that they just have to roll with on a yearly basis with whatever aged veteran is around and capable of viable quarterback play next year it might be Mariota the year after that it might be Andy Dalton after he gets this could be bumped from Chicago Washington could be in that 90s Minnesota Vikings mode right now where they're just cycling through guys that can play but are never going to last more than a couple of years bring back brad johnson do it football team look i i think they're i, I like where the roster's going i also think I, I don't know how many coaches around the league truly make a difference is that fair I and mean, there's 32 coaches at any given time mm. and there's probably there's a handful at the top that always seem to be making a difference and then you know the rest of, it's just like quarterbacks are somewhat dependent on their supporting cast a lot of coaches are certainly on a consistent basis yeah but i think ron rivera is one of those guys and it's not that like he's always going to win 12 games or anything like that he's just gonna you know elevate the team we saw that last year that that football team roster last year was not good at this time and all of a sudden the defense becomes you know, top three defense last year with the steelers and the rams they, they started to build that defensive line the offense always had those quarterback issues, but the O-line came together. So now they're attacking playmaker with Curtis Samuel. They lost Ronald Darby, replace him with William Jackson, our top-rated corner in free agency here. So I like the moves that they're making. And, you know, and I think there's still other plays to be made at, uh, at wide receiver, but having Terry McLaurin, uh, former Ohio State teammate Curtis Samuel as that hybrid wide receiver, can, can line up anywhere outside slot put him in the backfield you have Antonio Gibson mm -hmm. in the backfield who's another wide receiver hybrid look at the creativity that you have there and so I think the football team's looking at this like 
Roster's getting better. Ron Rivera, I'm a good coach. I'm gonna I'm gonna keep these guys in it. We're an eight and eight team no matter what. Gets a pretty good quarterback play. We're ten and six. Football team's starting to come together here. It is. Um, I, I think the William Jackson move is a great one. Uh, he has a significantly better PFF coverage grade over his career. They actually have very similar coverage numbers, except in a couple of areas. So Jackson and who? Jackson and Ronald Darby, sorry, yeah. the player he's replacing. Um, they force incompletions in their career at about the same rate. They uh, give up about the same yards per reception. They are targeted at about the same area, all this kind of stuff. Uh, where they differ is that for their careers, um, William Jackson has given up a passer rating that's seven or eight points better, lower than Ronald Darby, and then completion rate. So completion rate, he's about six and a half percent better off than Darby as well. So just generally, they impact uh, directly the plays about the same, but it's harder to complete passes on William Jackson than it is Ronald Darby is the simplest way of putting that. And his grade is a little bit better because of that. So, plus he's, you know, a little bit more reliable year to year. I, I really like that move. The only thing that concerns me about what they're building here is, you know, the Curtis Samuel signing, um, Antonio Gibson. They have a bunch of these players where you look at it and you go, this is really fun. You can get really creative with these guys. You can do what we've been talking about for a while in terms of motion that causes mismatches, you know, Curtis Samuel can be motioned into the backfield. Antonio Gibson can be motioned out of the backfield. Suddenly you've got this collection of hybrid players that can cause all kinds of nightmare uh, nightmares for defense from a personnel standpoint. But you have to do that. Otherwise, they're just guys, they're just receivers and a running back. And I guess I'm always making the assumption that they're going to use these guys. Well. Yeah, but Curtis Samuel in particular, his time prior to this most recent regime in Carolina was not the most creative usage in the world. True. So I, yeah. there's a lot, on, in theory, there's a lot you can do with this group that's very exciting, but you need to turn that theory into practice. Otherwise, it's just untapped potential. I, I repeat this a lot for a lot of teams. I've said this for the Colts, said this for maybe even the Patriots. In the middle of the first round, Washington, we love Rashad Bateman from Minnesota. Like going back to the well at wide receiver would be a good move. And they're also probably in the market for a starting left tackle at that spot. And I know there's there's defensive players to be had there as well, but you talk about a starting left tackle to solidify this offensive line. Don't forget they kicked off free agency by uh, franchising Brandon Scherf. And you're looking at an O-line that did you know come together last year. Chase Roulier had a breakout season at center and more, they have Morgan Moses at right tackle. Solid up front, could get a starting left tackle. But if you added Rashad Bateman in the middle of the first round at wide receiver to Terry McLaurin and let Samuel be the three, I know he's making number two type of money. He's in that Corey Davis type of range money-wise. But Samuel's best bet is still as number three, change it up, move him around, and create mismatches, not necessarily be a, a true number two. So I'd still like to see them and I think, attack that. I think they really should maximize what he can do as a backfield threat. Last year, Curtis Samuel had 70 snaps in the backfield. His previous three years combined, he was under 20. Yeah. Well, the, the previous last year at this time, I was writing about Curtis Samuel and the Panthers' inability to throw the ball down the field because they threw to Samuel all the time. And he's just not like, – they were asking him to be Terry McLaurin, essentially. Be this downfield, you know, run the deep post, run the go ball. 
He's just that's not really his game, but he can work the middle of the field and do all that stuff that we're talking about. So anyway, football team, I think a lot of people at PFF here in agreement, uh, making a lot of the right moves. They're also, I think, they've put them. This is a great situation for them in terms of they've done they've done it the right way because now you go into the draft, you say, all right, yeah, Rashad Bateman in the first round makes a lot of sense. On the other hand, it's not a nightmare anymore if they go into the season they haven't really added a receiver anymore. So if you go into the uh, the uh, if you hit other positions in the draft and you roll into the season with Terry McLaurin as your clear number one, Curtis Samuel in the slot, and now some combination of Cam Sims, who they brought back, or Antonio Gandy Golden, who could potentially jump forward in year two, like he has the size and speed and athleticism and the tool set to be a viable number two as long as there's other people to do the heavy lifting. Yeah, it's not like they don't have other young options. I just like I like more options. Sure. I mean, obviously, if you, you add a first-round wide receiver to that group, it's better, right? But they're no longer in a position where you look at this receiving group and go, this is a disaster if they don't find somebody opposite Terry McLaurin. Now you have the actual flexibility to say, you know what? We liked the flashes that we've seen from Cam Sims, and um, Antonio Gandy-Golden has some skills, so maybe we'll let him try and develop in year two. Fitzpatrick YOLO in the ball to him. We might have something here. All right. We're going to the NFC North, Sam. All right. I just told the Twitter followers, Bears breakdown has started. Oh, dear. We're going to the Bears. Mm-hmm. Andy Dalton is the biggest move. The Your mo- big the- splash. I predicted a big splash from the Bears. <laughs> it wasn't for lack of trying, but former neighbor Andy Dalton is uh, going to Chicago. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts? Um. Hmm. Let's start with this. Everybody's kind of making fun of the Bears and all this stuff. But like, what what's their alternative? Once you try, they tried Watson and Wilson, and they tried on Wentz. Allegedly, you know, they tried everywhere they could. They probably couldn't get Stafford in the division. What were the? They're they're in the middle of the first round. They could still draft a quarterback if they fall. But at some point, the Bears tried. They couldn't get anybody. I think you have to ask yourself how hard they tried. Now, the contract or the trade offer that was allegedly turned down by the Seattle Seahawks was, I think, three first-round picks and two defensive starters. Is that just two starters in general? Sorry, two starters, period. Does that tally with your memory of it as well? It does. Okay. Three first-rounders. So that – And we were predicting, like, David Montgomery because you always got to take running back to the Seahawks. Forget trying to place numbers. Okay, go ahead. Three first-round picks and two starters. That is certainly a – attractive package but it's not like a blow them out of the water con- or deal what else would you want two uh, first two second going. rounders i mean my point is that's fine that's a, a healthy trade haul but it's not like that's <laughs> the, the moving russell wilson and or deshaun watson would be fairly unprecedented trades in the modern nfl at which point you probably need to put a fairly unprecedented trade package in front of them to make that happen this is attractive but it isn't that so the and and the point with the bears is that everybody in that building is getting fired if they don't find an answer at quarterback at which point you are no longer burdened by the specter of what happens if you trade the farm for a quarterback and it doesn't work out you're already getting fired so what the hell just keep going until they say yes because there are still bosses that you have to you can't you can't literally just boss there's no oversight. Who is the boss? 
You're Ryan Pace. You're the GM of the Chicago Bears. You and Matt Nagy are on the same page in terms of if we do not have a seismic upgrade at quarterback, we're all getting booted out of this building. We are going to trade whatever it takes to get Russell Wilson or Deshaun Watson. Who is your boss that is preventing you doing that? Virginia's going to. Virginia. Yeah. Virginia's going to come in, shut it down. put the boot down, and say, not on my watch, assholes. I mean, if you, at some point, you can't just sign off on everything. Somebody else has to sign off on it. And if it's like, look, we're going to bring Russell Wilson in. You literally not, have the sign off. You're the GM. But we're going to have, we're going to lose three first rounders and two second rounders. I mean, bringing Russell Wilson to the Houston Texans, essentially, is what you'd be doing. So what's the point at I that point? I think you still have a better shot of being successful than you do right now. Because well, then you're like, well, we have Russell Wilson. Now we need three years to build the roster back up after we gave up everything. Virginia McCaskey was born in 1923. And you think she's going to come in and drop the, the hammer on? Yes on ryan pays and say you're not making this trade yeah according to this she fired her son back in 1999 <laughs> so she would <laughs> anyway I'm, I'm just saying look there's a different you had a way to go before that trade got too insane to even contemplate and they either didn't want to go that far or you know seattle just said look you're not even in the ballpark forget about it i look it's a bit like the dak prescott thing right where the the mistakes that were made were made a couple of years ago, and there's no right answer from this point on. Chicago's, <laughs> you just, you haven't got a quarterback. You've screwed it up, and you now have limited options. You've got two viable quarterbacks of the kind of upgrade that you need, and potentially you can't get either of them. So at that so you, point. So the Bears made a mistake by not giving up, say, three first rounders, two second rounders, Khalil Mack. Kyle Fuller, well, the so, entire yeah. roster. Let's assume for a second that the two starters were Kyle Fuller, who they were about to cut anyway, and David Montgomery or somebody else that wasn't going to move the yeah, needle. Yeah, of course, that's fine. Okay, so immediately you can you can upgrade the trade by saying, well, all right, instead of a guy we're going to cut tomorrow, how about Khalil Mack instead or Roquan Smith? Honestly, or, I still don't think Seattle does it, though. Maybe not, but my point is simply that the deal that was turned down is not enough for me to say they exhausted all possible avenues before just resigning their fate to the red rifle is this the worst team in football no it's not the worst team they were a playoff team they're not okay. terrible just asking they just have andy dalton as their quarterback i tell you what i do i do feel sorry for andy dalton a little I bit i don't he just signed for one year 10 million dollars a little bit so as sorry as you can feel for a guy who's you know a filthy rich millionaire and you know gets to play football for a living but that dude is coming to his introductory press conference as quarterback of the Chicago Bears, answering questions essentially of, so you're a giant letdown to everybody so in this So why aren't building. you Russell Wilson? Yeah, it's basically like, so you're a colossal disappointment to your fan base already before you've even taken a snap. How do you feel? Are you and, Deshaun Watson? And he knows. I mean, he, he understands that they didn't want him as their starter. Like, he's the booby prize. Like, that's just a crappy situation to be in. Like, generally speaking, the quarterback of a team is the guy to be idolized and celebrated and feel like a leader. And, you know, you're great. You're the, you're the guy. You're the alpha, the, the big man on campus. He's coming into a situation, and from step one, it's like, you're the guy nobody wanted here. How does that feel? Oh, it's not great. Anyway, let's, what's the rest of the roster look like here? They re-signed. Uh, so Bobby Massey gets cut, released. They bring back Jermaine Effetti for one year, $5 million. Effetti had been playing guard. He's you know, become a decent guard, So, but they have a hole at right tackle. Allen Robinson's back on the franchise tag. They're trying to trade Anthony Miller. 
Darnell Mooney right now is their wide receiver too. Good speed. I will say, by the way, the Red Rifle is the best quarterback that Alan, Alan Robinson has had since he was a teenager. That's true. He's at least accurate. Yes. Ish. And He's accurate enough. By quite a distance, yeah. actually, when you think about it. I mean, Bortles gave him opportunities, for whatever it's worth. Not much. As far as receiver opportunities, it's not always about accuracy and being good. It's just kind of YOLO quarterbacks are just as good for receivers as yeah, but at some point as a receiver, you just like to see the ball come to where it's supposed to be. Yeah, that's true. Um, defense, the secondary needs some work. I mean, there's particularly now other other pass rusher opposite Khalil Mack. Uh, even though Robert Quinn's there for a lot of money, I mean, there's just a lot of other places they need to upgrade as well. We also don't have a number one corner anymore because you just let him go. Yeah, I mean, Fuller's, Jaylen, Fuller's Jaylen. out. So cornerback is in play for them to upgrade. I mean, they. And, you know, it's not like they have the most flexible cap situation here. Jalen Johnson was good for the rookie class that came in. But when you look at the totality of his rookie season, there was still quite a lot of getting lit on fire, as was the case for all young cornerbacks. But if, like, he now has to step in and be the number one, I mean, that's it's getting pretty ugly behind him. Point is, not a lot of big moves by the Bears. Yeah. And if you're going to win with Andy Dalton... Not a lot of big moves. Need a strong ecosystem. And your quarterback splash play was the red rifle. I predicted a splash play. Yeah. It just didn't land. No. No, it didn't. Let's go to the Detroit Lions, staying in the north here. Cut. Let's go through the cut list here, Sam. Oh, God. Des- they traded Matthew Stafford, we know. Yeah. Cut Desmond Trufant, Justin Coleman, Jesse James, Russell Bodine, Christian Jones, Chase Daniel, Danny Shelton. Bring back Romeo Aquara, three years, $39 million. Mm-hmm. Uh, Tyrell Williams, they signed, wide receiver from the Chargers, one year, $4.7 million. Signed Jamal Williams at running back, and then they traded for Michael Brockers, who was uh, going to get released by the Rams. He goes, you know, the familiar faces coming over from the Rams, Brockers, and it sounds like he's going to sign a, a long-term deal to be a, a part of that defensive line. What are your thoughts on what the Lions are doing here? Full rebuild mode. It is. Um, I mean, most of the guys they cut made sense. There's a lot of holdovers from the old regime, a lot of guys that don't necessarily have a significant future there. Oh, they also added Brashad Perriman. Yeah, um, who plays for the same team that his dad did now, right? Yes, there you go. Brett. That's a reference that most of the people... Brett listen. Perryman. <laughs> no Your mid-90s Lions, man. Uh, Your 90s Lions, Brett Perryman. Does uh, Does Herman Moore have a son that we can get in here as well? Yes, get him over there. Um, speed, you know me and Speed and Deep Threats, Perryman and Tyrell Williams, both similar players in that regard, so you had some speed for Jared Goff. I don't hate the Romeo Aquara move. It's a reasonable chunk of money, but I think if anyone was going to take a look and see, hey, this guy, the lights seem to go on for him towards the end of the year, it makes sense to stay in Detroit and make that happen with his brother as well. So I kind of like that move. Um, Signing Jamal Williams just seems like a waste. I mean, I get that he's not an untalented running back, but, like, I mean, come on, you can find a Jamal Williams anywhere for not much money. I mean, it's only two years, $7.5 million. Right, but that's like $5 million more than you needed to spend to create the same thing (laughs) so jamal williams and deandre swift one-two punch in the backfield look this this offseason is all about getting guys that are going to be a part you're you're trying to sign guys that are going to be a part of your rebuild two and three years from now so like a one-year deal for tyrell williams doesn't necessarily do that a one-year deal for brashad perryman doesn't necessarily do that but i also think you you want to you also want to win along the way see and you also want to see what you have in jared goff i think that's a fair assessment right like you want to you want to see how good he is outside of the mcveigh nest 
Do you think that Tim Boyle starts games this year? The uh, the cult hero here. Yeah, former Aaron Rodgers backup, current uh, uh, current Jared Goff backup after they that they signed him. He's, I mean, he's intriguing enough. The most ridiculous, horrible college stats at UConn. <laughs> Just ridiculous. But he's always been pretty good in the preseason, right? And he's been the backup. 80.1 preseason grade in 2019. I'm going to say he gets starts this year over Jared Goff at some point. Really? Yeah. That's your prediction? It is. See what they have in Tim Boyle? Um, the latest of late bloomers. The other thing that I really like about this is <laughs> they traded for Michael Brockers. And the reason I, this is my favorite trade so far because it is almost the least you can possibly trade for a human being in the NFL. They have traded a 2023 seventh rounder for Michael Brockers. Now, you're only allowed trade picks three years in advance, so it's as far off into the future as you're legally allowed to trade. The only two things that would be worth less than this are, one, if the seventh round pick was conditional, or two, if the two teams swapped seventh rounders in 2023. And that might not even be less because technically you could, you know, it could actually be worse. So, (laughs) I mean, that's like, we are cutting this guy Give us anything, literally anything. Just make it legal, and we will take the deal. Brocker's a good, solid run defender overall. I mean, uh, that's the thing. It's actually an upgrade. He's yeah. better than anybody they had there last year. Didn't have a great year uh, last year. What am I looking at? Preseason. It didn't have. It wasn't as good last year, but overall, he's been a really good player for the Rams. And you know, great locker room guy, the familiar face, and the whole deal. So, great locker room guy right up until he has to talk to Jared Goff after the. Oh game. yeah, I forgot about that. Uh, to be fair, the quotes were like, they obviously took, they were out of context, right? Like just preceding him saying Matthew Stafford is a big upgrade over Jared Goff. He went on like three paragraphs of saying Jared Goff's a really good quarterback. The Lions got a good one. He's been to the Super Bowl, yada, yada, yada. And then it's like, oh yeah, but you know, Stafford's an upgrade. I mean, of course he's going to say that. He's with the Rams. Like, so. I Thank don't... you for adding context to that. That in, uh, in life in general is really frustrating me lately. Yeah. Headlines. Headline out of context quotes because nobody, you know, everybody's lazy and only wants to read a headline. Yeah. And then just click retweet and tell people. And it's, uh, it's like character assassinations for people like Brockers who didn't do anything wrong in right. that situation. So, um, look, I think, look, whatever. Lions are doing some stuff. I think uh, there's, there's a lot of bridge moves in here, especially at wide receiver, which is all fine. You don't want to have a completely depleted roster. You want to be able to evaluate the players around you, and you want to be able to accumulate players that are going to help you for the future. Aquara is their biggest move. Fine with that. Uh, sign edge defender Charles Harris. Take a flyer on the former first rounder. They're also move. You can see that these moves are not short term. Like these yeah. are they're putting pieces in place. They everyone has a six year deal. <laughs> they are putting in. This is not going to be a year one fix. They are putting things right. in place to be like, hey, look. This is going to be a year, year, year step process. We're going to get a little bit better this year. We're going to be viable. Next year we'll get better, and then a year after that we'll be good. Those, the 49ers signed John Lynch and Kyle Shanahan mm-hmm. back in 2018 or 2017 to six-year contracts. They had 17, 18. It's a great idea in theory. through, and it's, then 2019 they're in the Super Bowl. It's just where you – it's whether you can have the, the stomach to see it through if it doesn't look like it's going great immediately. Like it's very hard to – um, it's very hard to sort of look at that midway through what's supposed to be the plan 
and say if this is working or not. Yeah, I mean, the, the key is ident- identifying players. Who's going to help us in 2023? Who's going to be here in 2023? Who's going to help us get there? But who's going to be here in 23 and But if you're like, if, if year two of the plan, you're like four and 12, it, that's where you get, that's where it gets really hard to determine if this is going in the right direction. Because you might have added a bunch of talent that might even be working out. But if you still suck, it's really hard to, for everybody collectively to sort of sit down and go, well, okay, we're supposed to be here on this curve. And we're where yeah. in fact are we? Like, well, that was the last Lions regime, right? They right. just and lasted that, three so everybody years gets in year fired. two. It's like, eh. Yeah, so everybody gets fired and it didn't do anything. Even You might even have been heading in the right direction. All right, going through the rest of the NFC North. Green Bay Packers have re-signed Aaron Jones and cut Rick Wagner. That's it. Okay. So they still have uh, – they got questions on the O-line. Aaron Jones is back. Uh, A.J. Dillon will be his backup, so it'll be a little one-two punch there. What's your take on that? I wouldn't have paid that money for Aaron Jones. It's not egregious money. I think they're only really locked in for um, for the two years. But it still comes down to the opportunity cost deal, right? So I know the Packers aren't the team that's going to go light up the transaction sheet and, mm-hmm. and sign 15 guys in an offseason. But when you look at their roster, losing Rick Wagner as a starting right tackle is kind of a big deal. So if you're talking about if I was going to deploy resources between Wagner and Aaron Jones, I'd probably lean tackle at this point. Because Aaron Jones is a fantastic running back. He's been great in the red zone. He is also taking advantage of good run blocking, spread sets, teams needing to stop Aaron Rodgers in the pass game first and foremost every single week. Offensively, I know you don't want to think too short term, but David Bakhtiari is a little banged up going into next year. You don't want Billy Turner right now slotted as your starting right tackle. You'd rather have him inside at guard. You're sliding Elton Jenkins over to center. It's like a whole reshaping of the offensive line which has been really good the last couple of years. And as Aaron Rodgers gets older and older, I don't want to mess with the offensive line too much. I would rather invest resources there to just ensure that we're average or better and not take the chance that they land below average. And, and look, if the Chiefs are spending the whole offseason overreacting to their Super Bowl, the Packers can do the same exact thing. They had a depleted offensive line that the Bucks ran through and sacked Aaron Rodgers five times. Again, not all... Uh, offensive lines fall but the point is they put him under pressure in key times in the nfc championship so you've got question marks there you still need a cornerback opposite jr alexander that is the biggest question mark here and then i'd look at the receiver position too again if we expect aaron Rodgers to play 95 overall football next year he'll make everybody look good that do we look at that as an outlier season right now and he's really an 88 quarterback an 87 quarterback because that's what he'd been in previous years and if that's the case like every other quarterback in the NFL, you gotta you gotta kill it with playmakers everywhere. Alan Lazard, pretty good. Devin Funches might be back. Valdez scaling, but there's still more maybe to add there as well. So I just I feel like all these other periphery holes are bigger, more important than the running back. They we're only halfway through this offseason, obviously, not even halfway through, but just and this the podcast. Yeah. The start of um free agency and, and the draft and talent acquisition season. But this is a year and a half or two years or however you want to phrase it of this team kind of treading water in terms of what they're doing without. So they've back to back 13 and three seasons. The first one of which we think was kind of an overachievement. Um, They weren't necessarily as good as that 13 and three season. They got eviscerated by the 49ers in the championship game. This season, I think, was more fair. I think they were as good as a 13 and three season and still kind of got their ass kicked in the NFC championship game. 
And in both years, they haven't done much to react to that. Like, year one, the big story was you draft Aaron Rodgers' replacement and then a running back and a H-back and nothing that's actually kind of attacking the positions of or the, the issues from a year ago. And when you say, well, it worked. Well, the reason it worked is because Aaron Rodgers catapulted back into the stratosphere of, like, untouchable quarterback. They got – they essentially had elite seasons and had the number one player at quarterback, wide receiver, and cornerback last year, the three most important positions in the NFL. That's why they – that's why it worked. That's why they went back to the NFC Championship game. That's why they were the 13-3 and again. But it didn't – like, what you did didn't change any of that. Like, you adjusted the other pieces. So now you're the same thing. It's like, well, what are we actually getting better here? Because we've kept Aaron Jones around, okay, but now we can't go and add a number two corner because we don't have any money. You can, but you're now looking for the draft, and we've talked before. Now you have to hit that. That's a problem, drafting for need. Um, You can't add to the offensive line, which has kind of been an issue, and that might actually impact the running position with Jones and Dylan. So I just – the Packers seem to be – almost complacent of, well, yeah, we're this good. We don't need to do that much. We'll just tinker here and there and try and keep the things that we have in the building. I think they need to make more significant changes than that because they do have an actual hump that they need to get over if they want to win a Super Bowl. They need to address some weaknesses that they haven't been in the last year or two. Yeah, I mean, that's that's my whole thing, right? I mean, it it seems like last year – they were moving toward more run game, and hey, is what San Francisco did. They ran the ball, and they didn't have to throw it in the NFC Championship and all that stuff. And it seems like they're still moving in that direction. I saw this said the other day, and I think it's a good point, right? In isolation, drafting Jordan Love in the first round, a developmental quarterback when you have Rodgers, is fine. In isolation, maybe you take A.J. Dillon in the second round as a running back, fine. But when you start to combine those things, and we're going to go into next year, and how many of last year's draft picks are going to contribute in 2021? For the Packers, AJ Dillon's going to be your backup running back. Joseph uh, Josiah Deguara, he's going to be like your backup tight end slash H back. I mean, what are you going to be getting from that draft class? Who knows? Maybe not much. So yes, the risky part here is two-time losing team in the NFC Championship the last couple of years is really dependent on their draft class coming in this year right now, or Aaron Rodgers just just playing at a superhuman level. And I so think they're he- they're. It's just a margin of error. I think when you're looking into 2021, you have to anticipate some kind of regression from their three most important players. Career years out of Aaron Rodgers, Devontae Adams, and Jair Alexander. And Matt LaFleur, by the way, too. I mean, that that coincides. So either they they figured it out, had a great system, and got on the same page, and that's going to continue, or it's got to regress. But for this team to just stay at the level they were, you need... To, you need to repeat a career year from your three most important players. That's probably not going to happen. You just have to budget for at least one of those three, if not all three of them, taking a step backwards. So the question becomes, well, how have you offset that? And right now they haven't at all. Guys, we have a great deal with our friends over at Underdog Fantasy. If you like fantasy football and if you like playing fantasy for money, you need to check out Underdog Fantasy. Underdog's got everything, including season-long and playoff best ball. Best ball is a season-long game where you draft a team like you normally do, but that's it. No in-season roster management. Underdog automatically selects your best performers each week, saving you loads of time. Now, this deal is incredible because if you go to Underdog Fantasy, deposit just 10 bucks using the promo code PFF, you get a free PFF Edge annual 
subscription. That's $40 of value for just 10 bucks when you use the promo code PFF. Draft now at Underdog Fantasy. Let's wrap up the North with the Minnesota Vikings. Sam, your thoughts on the Vikings moves? <laughs> um, I love that laugh. I, I love it. I, I mean, I don't know what they're doing. They signed Dalvin Tomlinson. Okay. Dalvin Tomlinson was their prize. It was their, the guy they had prioritized. Two the years, $22 million. Sure. Dalvin Tomlinson is not a bad player. Um, he is more run-focused than pass-focused, and there's a limit to how much you want to target a guy like that, but the Vikings' defensive front was miserable. They needed an upgrade. Fine. Um, what they've also done is suggest that he will be playing three-tech in that defense while Michael Pierce who opted out last year, comes back and plays nose tackle. Explain three-tech, because you know, some of our fans don't always know. So three-tech three, three tech is essentially the pass-rushing defensive tackle in a 4-3 front. You line up outside the guard, you, you shoot gaps more than you occupy space, and clog up running lanes. The nose tackle is the guy buried in one of the A-gaps between the center and the guard, and the three-tech is, is therefore freed up to be one-on-one -on, -one on the outside shoulder of a guard. I think Aaron and, Donald is the prototype, yeah. not that everybody's... And get it, or Warren Sapp, or where, however yeah. far back you want to go. And that because that guy's freed up to be one-on-one -on -one and shoot a gap, he's able to rush the passer better. Um, there's basically nothing in Dalvin Tomlinson's career so far that suggests he can do that to any kind of high level. And it wasn't an amazingly good move when you thought that they were just going to be using some kind of rotation of Tomlinson and Pierce or have two nose tackles on the field at the same time, a little bit like the Ravens did with Pierce and, and uh, Brandon Williams. But to come out and say that one of your nose tackles is just going to be your three-tech, that sounds bad. I mean, that sounds like you're just not going to have an interior pass rush, where if you are, it's going to be manufactured with linebackers shooting the A-gaps or whatever it is, and that just doesn't scream great process to me. Um, their other move, Patrick Peterson coming on board, more I think about this, the more I don't hate this one. Um, really? It's a lot of money. Like it's One year, $10 million. Yeah. I mean, not a lot of money. It's good money for a guy who isn't the player that he once used to be. Um, on the other hand, he isn't terrible. And mm -hmm. the, a big part of Minnesota's issues last season were <laughs> like terrible players at corner or terrible play at corner. They went into the season essentially relying on an entire – um, stable of young cornerbacks playing well at the same time. And that's never going to happen. You got pretty good play by Cameron Dantzler, particularly down the stretch. You didn't really see a whole lot out of Jeff Gladney. You didn't see anything really out of Mike Hughes. There's not much to get excited about. So Patrick Peterson coming off a 55 overall grade and a, getting beat for a passer rating of 100 and a completion rate of 67 and blah, blah, blah. Not a lot to be excited about there. But as a sort of stabilizing influence, like let's hope Cameron Dantzler takes a step forward, just a, a veteran presence that we can plug in and at least think he's not going to post a grade in the 30s, which was a real concern for a lot of the players they had last year. I think it's probably worth doing. I might have gone in a different direction in terms of the actual player, but I, I don't think that's a terrible situation to just say, look, Three, we need three cornerbacks to play at vi a viable level for this defense to have any shot. At the moment, we're confident in maybe one. Put one more in there that's not going to give up a catastrophic level of coverage. Yeah, I mean, in the short term, that's fine. I guess the question is, are they still 
somewhat rebuilding this roster. I don't think they're going into the year thinking, man, we need another year. It, you got to win. I mean, you've got you have Cousins under contract. You have receivers to throw to. You've got Dalvin. They're expecting to go out there and win. So they are making these you know, moves on the side to try to win this year. The, the big drop-off for Patrick Peterson last year, 16th percentile grade in single coverage. That used to be his thing, right? You throw him on an island, good single coverage, man coverage guy. Never been a great zone guy, Peterson. 16th percentile last year, the previous – Three years, he was well above average. You know that was his thing. So last year, you kind of you started to see that drop off in 2019 after he had the suspension. 2020, it it, it continued. So it's it's a one year flyer on Peterson. To your point, just being a, a stabilizer for the Vikings' long term health as an organization, though. Dantzler, Gladney, those guys need to continue to develop this year. Uh, pass rush still has been an issue, remains an issue. Dalvin Tomlinson unlikely to be solving that. And we've been we've been railing against the sack thing too. Like that was Tomlinson, right? He kind of stumbled into a few more sacks last year. He's always just yeah. been an okay pass rusher. You, at nose. You use the term whack-a-mole a lot in terms of roster management. And sometimes you just get behind the eight ball and you're chasing, trying to hit one hole and then plug up another hole. And whatever way you want to phrase it, it, it feels a lot like, you know, there's – this Vikings roster, it's like fighting a forest fire, right? You just, Ooh, they keep, that's a good whack-a-mole. The fires Proxy. keep popping up. You keep running to the spot, putting out this one, and then two miles away, it flares up somewhere else, and you got to – they're just scrambling. They're behind the eight ball in terms of this roster management since the Kirk Cousins contract, the first one, was signed. It was never going to be – it was never that that Kirk Cousins contract prevented them from doing things. It was always going to be that it just squeezed them from when he signed – to whenever he's not on the roster anymore, they were going to be squeezed. And what that does is shrink the margin for error that you have. And it means that if you don't hit on a few moves in terms of, um, in terms of talent acquisition, that's when, you be, that's when you get behind the eight ball. And that's when you're chasing and you're playing whack-a-mole or trying to put out forest fires. And right now the Vikings have just missed on too much. And because of that, they're trying to patch up holes and there's just too many of them. So they're scrambling around... It's like, well, the defensive line was garbage last year. Let's hope that we bring in a Dalvin Tomlinson. Michael Pierce is coming back. Let's desperately hope we can keep Danell Hunter in the building because he apparently wants the hell out of here as well. Uh, and then the defensive line might be okay. Oh, also the secondary was ass. So let's quick, let's try and bring in a veteran because all of the guys that were in kindergarten, as Mike Zimmer said, they didn't make it to the master's program by the end of the season. So let's bring in a guy that's at least qualified. Okay, it was in 1982, but he probably still knows what he's doing. Bring in Patrick Peterson. Now the secondary might be okay. Oh, crap. The offensive line is still in pieces. Now what are we doing here? Oh, we've got to cut Riley Reef to get some cash space. Now it's just... Are you in meetings, man? This I'm just... They're like too far behind. Experience. They're too far behind, and there's no way of catching that up with the amount of cap space they have. They just... The, the Cousins contract puts them too close against the cap every time. Yeah. They can free up enough to make one or two of these moves to patch one or two of these holes, to whack one or two moles, to put out one or two forest fires... But then you're done. And if you didn't, if it didn't work, like if, if the move you made didn't put out that forest fire, now the whole place is just burning down. Minnesota's burning, huh? Minnesota's burning. Uh, O-line construction always fascinates me because there are so many moving pieces. Sometimes guys can switch positions and the whole deal. Minnesota has one established starter in Brian O'Neill at right tackle there's rumors that he'll move to the left side whether that matters or not Ezra Cleveland they drafted in the second round last year played him at guard but he was a tackle at Boise State 
So I'm looking forward to seeing how they're going to move these pieces around. Guard has been just a disaster for them, as has center, Mm -hmm. uh, over the last few years. So it's really that interior that needs to be shored up. They've had solid tackles and still not been, you know, a great offensive line the last couple of years. They are a team that should be desperately searching for this second wave of offensive linemen in free agency. Now, we've talked before that, look, whatever they try and do with the offensive line doesn't seem to work. If they draft guys, it doesn't work. If they sign free agents, even ones that look like they should be average, Mike Remmers, Riley Reef hasn't really worked. Um, they just, Here's you, a question, right? You have contrast, to just keep swinging. Contra- contrast their team building strategy with the Patriots where the Vikings have a higher priced he's he's still a mid-tier quarterback who has graded pretty well the last couple of years and always put up good numbers but not always productive numbers so to speak middle mid-tier quarterback high priced limited building the roster on the edges versus what the Patriots just did mid-tier quarterback bargain rate overpaying for the edges of the roster but really solidifying all sorts of needs up and down the roster and and giving Cam Newton a much better chance to succeed, whereas Kirk Cousins, maybe his his chances are diminishing right now unless the Vikings they are. make a lot of good moves. Yeah. I mean, Kirk Cousins stepped onto what was believed to be a championship-caliber roster in 2017 and was supposed to be the guy that made the difference between NFC championships like the Packers and Super Bowls, and he, he didn't. And the roster got worse and has been getting incrementally worse every year since then because of the pressure that his contract places on that roster. And again, it's not that it's prohibitive. You can, you can still assemble a championship caliber roster with the freedom that Kirk Cousins' contract presents to you, but it, it means that you have to be super efficient with your talent acquisition. You, you no longer have the room to screw up, essentially. You can't swing and a miss anymore because if you miss now you're two steps behind the eight ball and if you miss again now you're three steps behind and that's what has happened with minnesota is they've missed a lot and every miss puts them further and further behind and they just keep losing pace that's the rams with stafford now with no draft picks right or with fewer high round draft picks yeah except they at least trade their draft picks for proven commodities typically the high ones so true you don't quite have the same risk of spending the draft pick and that guy being a bust and it not working out and now you're behind the like they are at least using that draft pick for incredibly high degrees of confidence players that they know will be good all right let's go to the nfc south not a lot to talk about with the atlanta falcons they uh released alan bailey and ricardo allen a couple veterans who you know probably on their way out anyway and then they traded for lee smith sam perfect not the former closer of the Boston Red Sox, Chicago Cubs. Not that Lee Smith, the run-blocking tight end slash offensive tackle Lee Smith. Nice little compliment to Hayden Hurst there. How dare you? You put some respect on Lee Smith's receiving prowess. I love a good 300-pound tight end receiving. Lee Smith caught four of the six passes thrown his way, and half of them were touchdowns. You respect that. So look at Matt Ryan's touchdown total going up. Oh, there's really not much to, to chat about with the Falcons. We're just trying to cover free agency stuff here. How we'll much do you think he actually draft, weighs? But... Like he's listed at 6'6", 265, tight end weight. 280, 285. 285? more. Okay. Similar. Yeah? Similar to me. Very similar to you. Yeah, that 285 range. That I mean, I'm if, you're, if you're 285, I'd say he's heavier. He's chunkier than you are. Yeah, but my long bones. Not that much. I mean, he's 6'6". You're allegedly 6'10". 
probably closer to splitting the difference. Yeah, so, look, I hide my weight pretty well. <laughs> a lot of weight that I'm hiding here. <laughs> Chunkier than you think. You're big bone. Uh, any just uh, overall thoughts on the Falcons and other ways they can shape this roster going well, forward? Well, the biggest thing they did, I think, was rework Matt Ryan's contract in a very interesting way. Um, it was to give them cap space, but it also made him essentially untradeable for at least a couple of years. Like the, the Falcons this season, you know, new regime, whatever, a lot of the talk has been, well, what are they going to do with Matt Ryan? Are they going to move on? Are they going to ship out him and Julio? Is this a complete rebuild? Immediately, they, I mean, they can't right now. Like, Matt Ryan is there for at least a couple of seasons now. And next year, I think, his cap number becomes monstrous. Like, yeah, so they freed up some space right now. That's risky. But at the cost of Matt Ryan crippling them next year. Yeah, the next year thing scares me a little bit. I could also see Arthur Smith saying, look, I can win with Matt Ryan over these next couple of years. Absolutely. Right? I just did it with Ryan Tannehill. I can move the ball with Matt Ryan. Let's do that. You know, I could see that happening, but we got to figure out what these moves are. They freed up the money to just, what, grab the second wave of free agency potentially here? Yeah. So Matt Ryan's... Um, Matt Ryan's cap number this year is $26.9 million. That's not a huge amount for a quarterback anymore. Next year, it is $48.6 million. Ouch. That's crazy. This year, his dead hit, if they trade him, is $65 million, So that's not happening. Next year, the dead hit is $40.5 million, So that's probably not happening either. I mean, next year, at least it's in the realm of, I guess you could do that if you were desperate enough. But... You're probably not. Another team drafting Kyle Pitts at, no, at four overall. Yeah. So they're they're the other team that should just be trade down, trade down, trade down. Defensive line help, secondary help, receiver depth, offensive line depth, and maybe a starter in there. All those things need to get hit at some point, late free agency and in the draft. Mm -hmm. That's it on the Falcons. Oh. Carolina Panthers. Um, let's just throw it out there the Carolina Panthers kicked off free agency with two curious moves they signed Cam Irving and Pat Elfline two yeah. offensive linemen former first round picks who have not really been all that good at the NFL level he they signed them like no 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 as no, soon as no, no 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 stop it you can't allow you Cam can't Irving's leave it there you cannot leave it as they have not been that good Pat Elfline and Cameron Irving have been bad NFL offensive linemen and I use that in the context of just lasting in the NFL makes you above, you know, the baseline of most guys suck. They have been bad. If I, I think Ben Lindsay had the statistic that they ranked like 101st and 103rd out of 103 players in some grading over the past two or three years. I joked when they signed those guys, both in like the first hour of free agency, of legal tampering, which means they were targeting those players. They didn't just like stumble into them over the course of like shopping in the bargain basement bin three days into free agency, they went out and targeted these two offensive linemen immediately to bring them on board. Here's some perspective. Hang on. I joked before that, like, did they accidentally reorder the column and sort it like for last to first instead of first to last? Um, it's a good joke. But if they had, you couldn't have found two better offensive linemen. Like that would be number one and two available offensive linemen on your free agent board if you were sorting by how bad they have been over the last couple of years. I was trying to be so nice at yeah. the beginning. No, I'm not having it. Not so you having dragged it. me into this. Pat Elfline and Cam Irving have combined for 10 seasons mm -hmm. in the NFL. Seven of those 
they've graded combined in the 40s. Yeah. In seven out of those 10 total so seasons. 70% of their collective seasons have graded in the 40s. Correct. That's yeah. the stat. That's bad. Yeah, it is. Not not good. That's it's bad. Not, it's not Actively good. terrible. Yeah. I will say they offset it. Well, no, they didn't offset it. They they mitigated it with placing a franchise tag on Taylor Mouton and bringing him back. Taylor Mouton has been a very good tackle. Uh, so it's not like they don't know what a good tackle or a good offensive lineman yeah, looks he's like. Been, he's been really good. They've brought back a very good offensive lineman. It's just the, I don't understand why you would prioritize those two guys. I, I can at least see an argument that like a week into free agency needing some help on the offensive line, you sign two guys like that for very cheap deals because what the hell. As backups. Yeah, I, don't, I do not understand going after them and signing them both within an hour of the tampering period being open. So, yeah, presumably one of them – is going to be starting at least like cam irving technically slotted to be the starter at left tackle at the moment so God. um yeah i don't know what what the plan is right there remember our old friend uh i can't we uh we miss uh misidentified somebody on one of our tweets and it's one of our old uh producer friends he's like man i didn't report this we like we said he was like the reporter on something yeah he's okay. like oh that wasn't me Sorry. Live on the air. Stay mm. professional, Steve. Yeah, get it together. What, what else from a Panther stand? So they signed Hassan Reddick. One year, $6 million. For a guy, this entire offseason when we're talking about... That's a good move. Yes. I'm, don't overpay for sacks and this whole thing. Hassan Reddick had a second half that was really productive. I would love to just see, see if he could replicate that. Hassan Reddick opposite Brian Burns, I'm in. I think that's, uh, that's a really good move. Keep him... As a pure pass rusher, I hope they're not trying to convert him back to linebacker where he yeah. was another 40 overall PFF grade caliber player. But as a pass rusher, I like that. That's a good move. It's a really inter interesting one as well because he fits the category of a guy that should have been overpaid based on the flash and the numbers and the things that people are overpaying right. for. And he's got the first-round pedigree right. that sometimes. First-round pedigree. Guy had 13 sacks last season. Um, has the speed and the athleticism. and The highlight reel is incredible. Um I guess teams saw through it. Um, what, maybe it's the fact that all of it came in one game. Almost all. Like 13 sacks, five of which came against the Giants. Yeah. I, maybe you look at that and you say, all right, that's not great. Um, now his – and even when you look beyond that, 17 of his pressures came in two games, the Giants and then the Eagles in the next week, four more in week 16 against the, the 49ers. Those were his three elite games back to back to back. Everything else is a little bit more suspect. But I do love the idea of, look, he's got speed. He's got bend. He's got the ability to make some crazy plays. It's not like, like – so he beat up on Andrew Thomas a lot in that game. First round tackle for the Giants who struggled generally in year one. But Andrew Thomas had actually been, like, getting his shit together at that point. He was playing reasonably well, and then just got lit on fire by Hassan Reddick, which isn't just because, like, bad player met, you know – met or good or pass rusher met obstacle he couldn't help but fall over and get a sack right he actually had to beat that guy with speed and bend and all the all the pass rush traits that you want to see he used to show a temple yeah yeah great but my point is like it's not like he just found a, a an opponent that he couldn't help but beat up on he actually had to show all the things that you want to see from an edge rusher in that game to get that kind of production so 
I, I think this is a, a steal, potentially, when you consider some of the other moves that were made. Panthers really trying to confuse us by signing David Moore. So they add another D Moore to the mix to go with DJ Moore. Yeah. It's going to be confusing on the uniforms. So David Moore, he's been, a, he's been a solid deep threat. I know it's nice, it's easier to be a deep threat when you have Russell Wilson. Sure. And you're the number three receiver over there in Seattle for the majority of the time. But that's a nice complimentary piece to DJ Moore and Robbie Anderson. Also a guy who, like, all he does is catch spectacular catches. But critically, yeah. right, the league is learning lessons because who was the last guy, I think, that fairly well fit that category from the same team? Paul Richardson. There you go. And Paul Richardson signed for, like, a $60 million contract or something oh, ridiculous. Oh, Moore's been a much more productive player than yeah, Richardson but, but was, they were too. very similar in terms yeah. of, like, they are highlight real players where everything they do is spectacular. But the problem is what happens between the spectacular plays. And that got Richardson, like, a monster top-of-the-market free agent contract David Morris had to sign for two years for like less than $5 million. Yeah, so I like that. Look, the Panthers are one of, I think, the more intriguing teams this entire offseason. Year two of a regime, drafted all defense last year. They've been in on all the QB markets. We're really, when you, I like when you just get into like a new regime's thought process and what they value. Definitely concerned about the way the offensive line moves have gone. I like the other moves that they've made, though. Uh, let's touch on the Bucks first. Let's get the Saints out of the way. Well, hang on. The last move that the Panthers made that I like is Denzel Perriman. Um, oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I meant to mention him. 83 run defense grade last year, and they've had some linebacker issues since Keekley. A linebacker who, if it was 20 years ago, would be like an all-pro. He would be yeah. Bart Scott if it was 20 years Ooh, ago. A guy yeah. who just, like, buries fullbacks in the hole and laughs about it later. Like, there's a highlight reel play from him that I tweeted ages ago when it happened of him attacking and decleating Mekhi Becton in the run game, right? Taking a running leap at him and just burying Mekhi Becton, who outweighs him by 100 pounds. Like, something ridiculous. Perriman has ridiculous power, but not great in coverage. <laughs> just generally not a three-down linebacker anymore. He's, he's, I wonder if his value, though, goes up with the number of teams pivoting to this two-tight-end system and potentially swinging power football back in that direction. I mean, I right think now he's not valuable, is, but maybe. We always talk about defensive linemen and needing to stop the run with fewer players. That applies at linebacker, too. Now, you can't, ha you can't be so one-dimensional that you then get exposed in space. But if you're going to be in a light six-man box playing you know, against spread systems all the time, even against tight ends, they're still going to you know, move around and spread you out. You still need a guy that can handle destroying offensive linemen because you're going to have more offensive linemen at the second level to block you so there is value in that he only played 300 something snaps last year and yeah he he had his best coverage grade but again it's limited more news um here's a, a Schefter tweet i'm gonna just quote it here's a twist to the free agent wide receivers the ravens have reached out to kenny galladay's agent todd france to inquire about the former lions whiteout oh there you go now that this is, is what you're 180 been, you've been degrees for. from your just give them will fuller more speed no, let's give him... Well, Will Fuller's off the market. Let's give him a contested catch guy. Now let's start cooking. That's what you wanted, man. You wanted to see what this looked like with a true wide receiver one. I'm here for it. Uh, New Orleans Saints. Yes. Drew Brees retired. Yep. Uh, we covered their, their quarterback. We, we did a little prediction of their quarterback situation and a little you know send-off to Drew Brees on the PFF NFL Daily. They did end up bringing Jameis Winston back, so we're going full Tameis mm -hmm. next year. They've had to cut Emmanuel Sanders, Janoris Jenkins, Thomas Morstead, Josh Hill, Nick Easton, Quan Alexander, 
traded Malcolm Brown to the Jaguars. They did manage to place the franchise tag on Marcus Williams, the safety, and their only other moves as far as bringing people back, Ty Montgomery, P.J. Williams, along with Jameis, as I said. Yep. So I think, you know, overall, the Saints roster, they – look, they keep pushing the credit card, as you say, but you also – you got you to pay some off a little at a time by cutting people. You still have to get rid of some people along the way. That's a lot of good players. Yeah, I mean, this, this is just – this is the period where the credit card bill is actually due when you have to pay something. So paying it is cutting Janoris Jenkins, Emmanuel Sanders, Morstead, Josh Hill, Nick Easton, Quan Alexander. It's all the guys you had to jettison to get under the cap. That's paying down the credit card. Now you just restart. Like, that's what they do. Now you just start maxing out the credit line again. And then 12 months time when the salary cap, you have to clear, get under it for the league year, that's paying the credit card down again. So this is how New Orleans operates. Obviously, the story for them is quarterback. It's I, I don't want to spend too much time talking about Jameis and Taysom because we, we're going to do it all offseason. In a minute, what what's your prediction on how this plays out? No freaking idea. No clue Good whatsoever. Answer. Nice. Um, who the hell knows? I mean, you've got two quarterbacks, very different stylistically. Um, both have probably played around about the same level in terms of just overall – baseline very different like Jameis Winston air it out passer turnover machine uh Taysom Hill actually quite an efficient passer gives you a lot more from the run game and is a fumbling machine um I I don't have any freaking idea what you would do with those two guys if you're Sean Payton I do all I want to see is a combination of both of them just find a way red zone quarterback you designated third down quarterback alternate by drives the way some college teams do whatever you want to do don't care just want to see them both at the, at the same time I, I think the bottom line for the Saints season here though um again not to repeat ourselves depending on the draft the draft is going to be huge number two wide receiver Traquan Smith you've got Deontay Harris in there so you've got uh, Marcos Callaway you have some question marks whoever the number two target is beyond Michael Thomas. There's no pa- – there's Which no probably matters more now that you don't have Drew Brees as the quarterback. Absolutely matters more now. Um, and that's why I'm always wondering, like, Jameis – what is Jameis, right? We've only seen – we've seen him in three systems, essentially. Florida State, where, yeah, they always kind of chuck it down the field and he had dudes to throw to. We saw him with uh, Dirk Cutter in the Bucks, more of a vertical passing attack. And then we saw him with Bruce Arians, like the – vertical passing attack right i mean am i missing anything in there was there an extra uh, system in there i don't anyway don't we've seen him pretty much in all vertical passing attacks now the saints have more of a horizontal passing attack but is that by default because yeah. of breeze the last couple of years and teddy bridgewater is the backup or is it sean payton's going to say vertical passing attack this is what Jameis does we're going to throw the ball down the field if that's the case we also haven't really seen Jameis without a really good crop of wide receivers. We've seen him with the Mike Evans of the world and Chris Godwin, and we saw him with Kelvin Benjamin at Florida State, guys that you could just throw it up to and let them make plays. So is it the situation that always led to Jameis's high level of volatility, or is it the playmakers, and is are we going to see something different? So I said one minute, but... Yeah, one a lot more, to discuss. One year. more player I think you need to talk about is Marshawn Lattimore. So they... Get rid of Janoris Jenkins to get under the cap. Janoris Jenkins was the better of the two starting cornerbacks last year, assuming they don't have to play Mike Evans every week. Mike Evans every week, Marshawn Lattimore looks like the best cornerback in the NFL. But he, he also has – he just has it. 
you know, he's matching up with Julio all the time. He's Playing against, up against good players. other receivers, less so. What's interesting, though, is that Marshawn Lattimore's numbers have gotten worse every year of his career, almost across the board. It's actually fascinating. Um, PFF coverage grade as a rookie, 88. Next year, 76. Next year, 66. Next year, 60. 59.7. So they've gotten, it's gotten worse every year. Um, overall grade, the same thing. Passer rating allowed has gotten higher every year. 51, 86, 90, 103. Uh, touchdowns given up has gotten worse every year. None as a rookie. 2, 3, 8 this last year. Every number of his essentially has gotten worse every single season of his career. And now you're looking at him going, well, is he our superstar number one corner that we need to hand the bank to? Or at some point do we say this needs to like arrest and go back in the other direction otherwise what are you doing for us here the bengal what the bengals did was essentially say we're not going to pay william jackson we're going to pay chitabe awuzie league average corner and mike hilton above average slot corner for the same price as william jackson the saints given some of their cap constraints that they always get to might actually have that decision on their hands yeah trade a Marshawn Lattimore and take that money or, or just don't sign him and take that money and Spend it on two players instead of one. Interceptions, almost the same thing. Five, four, one, then two. If you flip those around, they would have been worse every year as well. Um, so, yeah, there's just a lot of pressure on, you know, finding a second corner, finding more playmakers. Adam Troutman is the starting tight end at the moment. He did a nice job as a run blocker last year, as a rookie. Also as a receiver, caught some passes. Like, he was did. efficient, just didn't get much opportunity. So, it's going to be, uh, you know, kind of like a youth movement over here with the Saints and... See what they end up doing going forward. Tampa Bay Bucks. They're a lot like the Patriots from a year ago. It's like, all right, now your Hall of Famer is gone. Let's see what you can actually do without that crutch. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I think. And we've seen it more with the Patri or with the Saints because Breeze has missed a lot of time the last couple of years. So we've seen them go undefeated with Teddy Bridgewater, et cetera. Um, but now it's like, all right, let's see. What do you, what do you want to do with Tamus? Yeah, what I does mean, that look like? Peyton and Breeze came in. To, I mean, they were together that was, yeah. since 06, essentially. It's a so, long yeah. time. We'll learn a lot about a lot of people there. Tampa Bay Bucks, their story is just bringing everybody back. Franchise tag on Chris Godwin. Re-signed Levante David. Re-signed Shaq Barrett. Re-signed Kevin Minter. Re-signed Rob Gronkowski. And re-signed kicker Ryan Suckup. Well, that's the one that pushes them over the edge. Um, yeah, this is... I mean, it's a great offseason for them. Good job, right? <laughs> they won a Super Bowl. Now they've managed to retain everybody that they've wanted to retain so far with Antonio Brown still out there on the open market and potentially another one to come back and add to the, the party. The one, they've also, like the one move that might be left for them to, to make or to get involved in is a guy like James White, you know, yes. a receiving running back, not just Leonard Fournette and Ronald Jones came up big for them down the stretch, but neither one of those guys is a good receiver. Um, you know, they both seem to fight the football in terms of catching it. Uh, so bringing in a guy like a James White, who's like a designated receiving back, would I think be a really good move for them. And it wouldn't cost much, which is why I'm saying it's a good move. I, I think James White is a no-brainer. Um, Antonio Brown, I still think, is a big one too. Uh, again, he he brought that versatility when Ev Mike Evans got hurt. Antonio Brown could step up. He was their number one receiver for stretches. Yeah, uh, just if you're trying to ensure that you're going to win another championship and make sure that all the edges of the roster are solidified Antonio Brown helps now if they don't have Antonio Brown and it's Mike Evans Chris Godwin you got Scotty Miller out there you have Tyler Johnson in year two who showed flashes could he do Antonio Brown type of stuff or at least be a, a wide receiver three with Scotty Miller as the deep threat absolutely 
Um, and then we'll see what happens at tight end. O.J. Howard coming off of injury. Still have O.J. Howard, Gronk, and Cameron Brate. There might, might be a move to be made there with O.J. Howard, who'd been rumored to be traded for like three straight years by the Bucks. So um, overall, just really good. Running it back and uh, the right moves there for the Bucks. I think defensive line depth is something else they can look at. But we'll talk more as we get into discussing draft season. Yeah, they've they've done what we talked about in terms of you address need and free agency you make sure that you can go into the draft just being able to draft the, the best players available without having to chase to plug holes they've done that just by re-signing everybody i mean this was a yep. this is a roster that won the super bowl they loaded up for that run they've just done it again it, it it shouldn't be uh it shouldn't be overlooked how hard it is to to do that to get everybody back that's not an easy thing to do i think it probably does speak to the power that Tom Brady and chasing rings has that, hey, look, most teams, you're going to see one or two of those guys walk out the door. Um, maybe the fact that the cap went down and the money on the free agent market was less than it would normally be helped. But I think the power of Tom Brady to keep a group of players in the same place is significant and not to be overlooked. All right, let's go to the West Coast. Our friends are awake now, Sam. It's almost 11 a.m. They're awake and ready to go. They've Sweet. been waiting for their analysis. The um, Arizona Cardinals signing J.J. Watt early to kick things off. All right. Bring back Marcus Golden. Mm -hmm. And then their offensive line moves, I think, are, are really key. They trade for Rodney Hudson. Now, they did give up a third rounder to get Rodney Hudson, but he has been the premier pass-blocking center in the NFL over the last couple of years. Coming off his worst season in a while, but, man, that is good. They were hard in on the uh, Corey Lindsley sweepstakes they were in there and they they lost that was the top center on the market so they get Rodney Hudson had to give up a third to get him and then bringing back Kelvin Beecham just the type of move that PFF loves because he's always just been one of the better solid pass protectors in the league and they bring him back as the starting right tackle a lot of good stuff in Arizona yep I like all of those moves I think Hudson is a no-brainer they got a seventh round pick back in the trade so it's not quite as catastrophic as just the third um, but that's a great move. I mean, even if he's on the decline, it, it's more about short term. It's more about just locking up that position, making sure it's not a problem, solidifying an offensive line in front of Kyler Murray and making sure that he has a, a, the ability to get cooking. The defensive front should be a lot better next year because now you've got um, Chandler Jones healthy. You've got Marcus Golden coming back. You've got J.J. Watt in the building. Remains to be seen what they're going to do with him in terms of alignment and how they're going to deploy him. But in theory jj Watkins still be a very devastating plus player for them up front particularly surrounded with those other guys um yeah the cardinals are moving in the right direction i'd still like to see they signed aj green i don't love that but i would like to see something else at receiver jordan phillips is back too remember last year at this time everybody's like he had 10 sacks he's an elite pass rusher mm. for the bills he had two last year on 163 rushes Yep. Anyway, um, I'm excited about the Cardinals' defensive front. Remember how creative they got? Crowd in the line of scrimmage. Don't forget, movable chess piece Isaiah Simmons is there as well. That's a lot of just talented players that they can deploy in that defensive front seven. My big question mark, as always, though, the secondary. Patrick Peterson, gone. Uh, last year is Patrick Peterson and Drake Kirkpatrick. They needed an upgrade there anyway. Yep. Byron Murphy solid in the slot so they've got to figure out outside corner um oh also signed aj green i just said that oh sorry but i didn't say it initially true but um aj green with deandre hopkins 
Like, look, you, you watch AJ play last year. It's like, hey, you know, it doesn't look the same. Mm. But is that still worth a flyer at $8 million just to see if he could no, get healthy? not at $8 million, It's not. For one year? I don't think it is. Um, but I think the you're now left, where is your speed? Like, where is the deep threat? Where is the guy getting open on a consistent basis? Christian Kirk, Andy Isabella. I mean, Isabella isn't being used like that at the moment. So you need to that – that's the role you need. I don't care if it's Isabella or if it's a – rookie or if it's somebody still coming in off the street you've got john but, ross but that's the role you need not the aj green one which is well he couldn't get open at all last year but maybe we can find old aj green again um i think you need look we already have a deandre hopkins we don't need a guy that wins with power and doesn't separate and wins contested catches i thought hopkins actually looked better in arizona than he had in houston but you need the speed now you need a guy that can separate and get open and be that viable alternative and it isn't aj green yeah, I agree. Uh, remember all last year when I was texting you about A.J. Green's the next Larry Fitzgerald. Yeah. He's just going to pivot Literally. to possession receiver, late in his career, contested catch guy. You know, just Galladay's signed with the Giants. Done. News breaking. All right, let's go back to our Giants analysis for a minute here. 60 to 65 million over four years with a void year tacked on. Don't panic here. Listen, be a professional. You don't just always jump right to the breaking news. Sometimes you got to finish your previous thought. Are we done with the Cardinals? Yeah. Breaking news. Kenny Galladay to the Giants. Smooth. Let's, how's this uh, affect the, uh, the wide receiver depth chart over there? When we talked about it earlier, now you ha- actually have him. Yeah. Darius Slayton, John Ross, Evan Ingram, Kyle Rudolph, Sterling Shepard. I like it, man. I like it, Giants. Yeah, I mean, we already broke this down assuming that, well, not assuming, but we talked about Kenny Galladay as a potential um, addition to the Giants. They were one of the teams that were supposedly in on him. So <laughs> rewind, listen to what we said. We already covered it. Done. Oh, okay, good. Congrats, Giants. Good job. All right, AFC West. Let's go Niners here. For San Francisco 49ers. Let me pull them up. I'm slowing down. Resign Jason Verrett. Resign yes. Emmanuel Mosley. Always good. A couple of your cornerbacks that were going to hit the market, um, presumably letting Richard Sherman walk. Their big move, obviously, is re-signing Trent Williams. So a lot of their business has been keeping guys in the building. And Alex Mack. So Trent Williams, six years, $138 million. He is the highest paid tackle in the NFL, Sam. Yeah, by 10000 a year. <laughs> that was funny. David Bakhtiari was tweeting at Trent Williams, essentially saying, what are you doing, man? You making me... You're, you just wanted to be – you're all petty trying to be the, the highest-paid tackle, and he did it by $10,000. So mm-hmm. congrats to, uh, to Trent Williams there. What do you make of the Alex Mack signing? Because he fell off a lot last year. Yeah, I, I broke him down a little bit when we were doing the, the free agent rankings, and it was really weird because he gave up a lot of pre- – what was it? Do you have his numbers up handy? I don't, uh, but yeah, uh, he gave up a lot more pressure last year than he, he gave had previously. He gave up 25 total pressures last season. Which, to be fair, is less than the previous season, but more than, but around double what had been his baseline before that. But his past blocking grade was yes, the worst in fact, 56.4. But when you go through those plays, he's never been the most powerful player. He was getting bull rushed a little bit. But there were a lot of like mental errors in there. It was a lot of just unblocked stunts and unblocked pressures and things that were really on him at center. Which I, I didn't know what to make of that, you know, when you're, when you're our age. He's 35. When you're younger than us. <laughs> Usually the mental errors aren't the issue Brain for Alex Brain starts to Mack. go a little bit, you know. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to chalk it up to maybe a slight anomaly. He's still graded in the green as a run blocker. Mm-hmm. 
He is going to run Kyle Shanahan. Didn't fall off really. Yeah, he's he's been he's always been one of the better run block zone blocking centers in the league. One of the best that we've seen over the last decade. This is the third time he's now played under Kyle Shanahan with Cleveland and then with Atlanta. And remember, uh, like friend of the show, Joe Thomas was talking about how he's one of the craftiest players he's ever played with in terms of being able to like, you know, get defensive linemen to jump off or, you know, tricking them a little bit with what he's doing and how he's setting up and movements and just generally making their life miserable and guessing wrong with all the tiny little nuances, the technique and things that you just you don't pick up. That's Alex Mack. So that part should maintain, should remain good. One thing I wanted to say, like the reason the grade is so much worse, despite actually giving up less pressure than the year before. Um, I mean, just number one, look at the number of pass blocks. Uh, 2019 gave up 29 total pressures, but on 803 pass blocks, including the playoffs. Uh, 2020 gave up 25 pressures, but on 633. So 170 we, fewer pass blocking plays. The... Um... The, call, the Kenny Galladay thing is not official. Not official? God damn it. You need to uh, – speculative only that he might end up with the Giants, as we thought earlier. So we all take that back. We have no idea on the Kenny Galladay thing. We don't take it back yet. Let's just keep going. Listen. Maybe it happened. We take it back. No, we don't. We don't know. Don't take it back. I don't take anything back. We just said it just might not happen. Yeah. We'll see what happens. Kenny Galladay, though, to the Giants would be good for the Giants. If that's the case, I love the Alex Mack move. I am a sucker for mid thirties offensive linemen who are good at one point, And I feel like it's all, that's always worth the risk. Mm -hmm. So Alex Mack in the Shanahan system, I think is good. Trent Williams at left tackle, old man, Mike McGlinchey there. I mean, he, McGlinchey's older than Mack and Williams anyway, to, to kind of hold it down. Sam, you seen what's happening here? Yeah. Yeah. Follow along. Not official. Don't speak out of turn, but we're not taking it back. Don't speak out of turn. Uh, what else here for the – yeah, so the Niners from a cornerback situation, you mentioned Verrett and, and Mosley. At least at least they have players starting there. And uh, Verrett, worth that other flyer there for I'm, sure. Yeah, I'm – Juice check back too. Verrett apparently turned down bigger multi-year deals to bet on himself again. Um, I just – I get the confidence. I get, you know, always wanting to back yourself. and But at some point – have a little bit of self-awareness to realize what your injury history has been like. If you were given greater security and greater money for a multi-year deal than one year, 5.5, I feels like he should have taken that given his injury history. No, he's, he's proven he's healthy now. He's good. He proved he was healthy for one season, sort of. Nice. No, good. Um, but like the previous years before that didn't play in 2018 at all, played four snaps in 2019, 63 in 2017, 260 in 2016 that's half a decade in which he's played like 300 snaps if somebody was offering you multi-year security i mean yeah i would take that yes good for the niners though it's a good move for the niners we're looking from the team perspective here uh samson ebucam add a little depth but at two years uh 12 million dollars i don't know if that's up to or total that seems like a lot for uh, a backup pass rusher there but especially given like what hassan reddick got Reddick, Reddick showed more in that down the stretch run, I think, than Ebucam has during his career. Well, showed more in those three games than Ebucam yeah. has. So it's not terrible, but yeah, adds depth there. Ebucam, D. Ford, Nick Bosa, Eric Armstead. They got to keep got to keep strong in this defensive system on the defensive line. Uh, Seattle Seahawks. Let's go there. They cut 
Carlos Dunlap at the beginning, Josh Gordon officially cut at one point, Greg Olson retired. Mm. I like some of the under-the-radar moves the Seahawks have made, though. They traded for Gabe Jackson, so you get the buy low on a formerly pretty good guard. Yep. He's regressed a little bit. Uh, Akella Witherspoon, former 49er, bring him in as a guy that's shown flashes, has good size, movement skills, that whole deal. He's shown really good flashes through the years. Gerald Gerald Everett for one year, $6 million. Uh, new off, new off, offensive coordinator comes from the Rams, familiar with Gerald Everett. I think this, if the Seahawks are making adjustments offensively, they need to attack more horizontally and create more yards after the catch situations, things like that. Gerald Everett's prime for that. One year, $6 million. Compared to like what John U. Smith got with the Patriots, I love that. I was surprised his market was that low. I thought Gerald Everett was actually a player that would get overpaid more than he would um, more than he would fly under the radar. Like I thought he was, if anyone was going to get the big monster deal, I would have actually expected it to be Everett over John U. Smith. Not that I'm saying they're wrong, but I just that's the way it felt like that was going to go, or at least be in the same kind of ballpark. And my point would have been that, hey, I think Jonu Smith is actually a way better bet than Gerald Everett. You know what, though? He's coming off his worst season, 61 grade. Do you think there was a huge market for Jonu Smith? Or did the Patriots just pay him what they, I mean, what that's they possible, wanted yeah. to pay him? Yeah. Because there's always that opportunity. I say that all the time with the draft. Like, a player is a first-round player if he gets drafted in the first round. But there's always, always – like, when Tim Tebow got drafted in the first round – He's a first-rounder for life now, but I think the Broncos were the only team that, were, that was actually going to draft him in the first round. So what do you do with that? I mean, you don't, you don't really know, but yeah, look, Everett's a good... I, I also think, you know, Everett's somewhat limited as a blocker. He's got a very specific role, but I, I love that as uh, one year, five, $6 million. They re-signed special teams ace mm. and all-around playmaker Nick Ballore, thanks to uh, Mike Renner for breaking that while we were live on the air yesterday. A lot of breaking news when we are live on the air. Yeah. Ethan Pochich comes back for one year, $3 million. That's about what he's worth at this point. <laughs> uh, I'm not trying to say that in a negative way, but I'll take Pochich as a backup. Can literally play any position, at least at a – he can play any position. Let's leave it at that. <laughs> I, look, he's he's also one of those guys that showed a little bit in college and has has had decent spurts that I'll, I'll bring him back for one year, $3 million, just in case he figures it out. Okay. Wyatt Teller style. You never know. Hmm. Um, I, th- I think Gabe Jackson is a really good move for them, though, uh, especially in this whole pr- through the prism of Russell Wilson being upset and not having pass protection and good offensive linemen in front of him. And Gabe Jackson's had a weird career in terms of it's almost upside down. Like we expect offensive linemen to have this um, linear progression year on year of just getting a bit better, a bit better, a bit better, and suddenly you're a really good offensive lineman. Gabe Jackson is still only he's still under 30 and his career is almost upside down in terms of being really good right out of the gate PFF pass blocking grades of 86 84 79 you can hear the numbers going which way they're heading here wrong way 77 76 76 69 like we're just heading incrementally backwards here now it's still in a reasonable place um but that's a weird trend to just get that consistently a little bit worse every single year but to be still under 30 to still be a good pass blocker um i think that has to be a good thing for russell wilson that enough to keep russ happy and i don't think it's enough necessarily to keep him happy but it's at least an olive branch or a step in the right direction right it's some visible sign 
that we are prepared to do something for your offensive line woes, Russell. Seahawks are at the lowest end of or low end of having available cap space, so it's not like they were going to be uh, free spenders out there. So it, they but, are very much just you know. But that's also another reason that I think it's a significant olive branch because they traded for him. They picked up his contract, which was not insignificant. Yeah. Oakland, you know, the Oakland, Las Vegas was trying to get rid of it. I mean, that's why he was on the market in the first place. So they have said, not only are we prepared to get you an offensive lineman, but we're prepared to trade a draft pick and pick up a contract that's more bloated than we would like for the offensive line. So those are... Yeah, that's, I think that is a significant move as much as, hey, we're just picking up a, an offensive lineman in the middle of free agency for a, a low-round pick. I think it is a significant um, step towards what Russell Wilson wants because of those factors. All right, let's wrap it up with the Los Angeles Rams. Not a lot to chat about here. They re-sign Leonard Floyd. That's their big move. And uh, that's, I mean, obviously the Jared Goff-Matthew Stafford trade happened. And they traded Michael Brockers for that all-important 2023 seventh-rounder, as we talked about earlier. Uh, Floyd for four years, $64 million. I was trying. I made the genius point a couple weeks ago that you just, you know, you don't overpay for sacks, but they just, they had a compensatory pick in their hands. Somebody was going to pay a ton of money for Leonard Floyd off of all these sack totals that were inflated by your system and by Aaron Donald. And then the Rams signed him anyway. That's yeah. Okay. To big money. He's <laughs> a four-year, $64 million. I, I I look at Floyd similar to like Bud Dupree. Like I, I like he's – he's a fine player. He's a solid player. Like Bud Dupree is not bad, I don't think. And Leonard Floyd has been as consistent as it gets. Green, six, high 60s, low 70s grades his entire career. Every facet plays the run. I actually love watching Leonard Floyd drop into coverage, which he's done quite a bit in his career. At six foot six, he moves well, and he adds a little bit of versatility there. He's just not an impact pass rusher. And we've got back-to-back seasons of guys with mediocre pass rush grades, Leonard Floyd and Dante Fowler picking up. I think Fowler's was 11 and a half sacks. We had him with 15, hmm. and Floyd was over 10 last year. Both guys essentially benefiting from what's around them. So, yeah, four years, $64 million just feels like a lot for Floyd given what we've seen and the consistency that we've seen in his career. It is, and I, I don't love it because of that, but I think what they're doing is essentially trading – um, opportunity costs for certainty. It's like, yeah, so you gave up a lot of money for a guy who we're fairly convinced, at least in large part, is a product of Aaron Donald or general Aaron Donald plus environment. Um, and the logic being, because we've seen that from Dante Fowler and from Leonard Floyd, we're fairly confident that you can do that with somebody else for a lot less money and have similar results. But fairly confident is not sure. Yeah. And the Rams right now are working on this basis of getting back to the Super Bowl. We loaded up. We got Matthew Stafford. We're going on a run. And, okay, you might be confident you can do that, but I don't know that. And we know we're going to get what we're going to get from Leonard Floyd because we just got it. So let's just pay for the certainty of this guy does maximize those opportunities with Aaron Donald. We don't know if the next guy would have. We have no idea if we could plug Hassan Reddick in there and we would get the same results. We think there's a pretty good chance, but who knows? And we're not prepared to risk that. So let's just pay it and we, move on. We always talk about the importance of uh, depth in the secondary. They just lost Troy Hill to the Cleveland Browns and John Johnson to the Cleveland Browns. Uh, two guys who have been extremely productive. And now you've got guys like Taylor Rapp taking on a bigger workload. Guy that I loved last year, Terrell Burgess, who got hurt, taking on a bigger workload. David Long from a couple years ago that we liked. 
bigger workload. So I, that's one of the biggest stories, I think, for the Rams. How are these young players who have all played good football at some point in their career, how are they going to step up and replace the Troy Hills and John Johnsons of the world? It's an interesting test for that um, talent process, particularly a cornerback. What we've been saying is that, hey, Jalen Ramsey's role allows you to go target these guys as like undrafted free agents or players that you know have shown really good stuff in college but might be undersized or don't generally fit your prototypical measurables in the NFL. But as long as you have a Jalen Ramsey and you can keep them away from a DK Metcalf, they don't need to. Uh, that's what Troy Hill and then Darius Williams have been able to do. Now you're losing a Troy Hill. Can you replace that with another one of those guys? And do you even need to do anything more than just like pick up an undrafted rookie this year to achieve that? More breaking news here. Actual breaking news? Well, just official confirmation on your uh, previous hypothesizing. Riley Reef says he will play right tackle with the Bengals. There you go. So Jonah Williams at left tackle, Riley Reef at right tackle. I think this is a big story because you know Bengals fans have been watching Oregon film all year, thinking, "Oh, Panay Sewell's the next guy. He's the next guy." And now, I don't know that it keeps you away from that. All I'm saying is, I think it opens up the possibility for a Jamar Chase, Joe Burrow reunion, or at least a a wide receiver type of pick there. I might just be so offense focused here, or Kyle Pitts. Bengals have a huge, you know, Kyle, Kyle Pitts is really a fit for every team in that top 10. When you start to think about, oh, would Kyle Pitts, would, what would he do to this passing attack? Oh, he would help. I mean, he's a fit for every team everywhere. He, he really is. Except like the Bucs, they would just use him as an inline tight end and say, he's a tight end. Well, it's not to say he wouldn't be wasted some places, but he's a fit everywhere. He's definitely a fit everywhere. That's everybody in the NFC, right? Did we forget anybody? I mean, I hope not. We've never forgotten anybody. We'll have to do an emergency third, fourth podcast this week. <laughs> we forgot anybody. go to the daily for the team we missed <laughs> yes we'll do an extra daily if we missed your team anyway thanks to everybody for tuning in it was the nfc review go check out our afc review yesterday it's just awesome fun football discussion it's great watching teams build their roster see strategies unfold there's still a lot more to a lot more to come go check out the daily as we break down all of the best available free agents this week or, or, or right now Go uh, subscribe to the PFF Daily. And don't forget, free agency 30. 30% off all of your PFF subscriptions. PFF Elite or Edge, 30% off using the promo code FREEAGENCY30. So that's your homework right now. Free agency 30. Homework. PFF Daily. That's what you got to do by Monday. Hit me up on Twitter if you did either one of those things or both at PFF underscore Steve. Free, Free agency 30. PFF Daily. All right, we'll be back Monday with even more free agency recaps and review. Wave, wave Sam. Wave, Steve.